Hello and welcome to the I Am Woman Project, where every week we have deep thought-provoking and interesting conversations with thought leaders, change instigators, rule breakers and creative minds who think differently, sparking creativity and inspiration. Our special guests on our show cover a variety of topics just for you, and they share their personal stories to inspire, motivate and empower you, our listener. The I Am Woman podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.iamwomanproject.com.au. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at I Am Woman Project and Facebook. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Hello and welcome. This is Julianne Black and you're listening to the I Am Woman Project, the place where collaboration meets inspiration and possibility. It's my absolute pleasure and delight to introduce you to one of my favorite people in the world, Fiona Robertson. Hi, Fiona. Hello, Julianne. How are you? (laughs) Good. It's so funny calling you Fiona. It's so formal. Hi, Fee. Hi, Jules. (laughs) This is going to be such a fascinating conversation as we deep dive into um, into Fiona and all her goodness. Um, Fiona Robinson has 22 years experience as a media and entertainment lawyer. She's worked with film producers, record companies, telcos, satellite operators, animators, events and concert operators, production companies, advertising agencies, you name it, Fee has probably worked with them in some capacity. That's an exhausting list. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? And there's Mm -hmm. more. Um, And that's where Fee and I met. We first met um, over 20 years ago when I was producing in uh, at Grundy Television and we were in Sydney and Fee was one of their um, internal lawyers. Um, Since then, um, for the past seven years, Fiona has uniquely moved to Dubai where she's gone from strength to strength. She's currently working for Altamimi and Co. And when I visited her earlier in the year, one of the biggest video on demand companies called and said, and I love this, um, hello, Fiona, we hear that you're the most renowned media lawyer in the Middle East, and we have been told we can only speak with you. <laughs> wow, there's some kudos. She's I'm also sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's also on the board for women in film and television in the Middle East. My <clears throat> goodness, Fiona Robertson, welcome to the I Am Woman Project. Thank you very much for having me on. Our pleasure. So we've got some great questions for you that we're going to go through. Um, And we're just going to see a little bit about Fiona and how she operates in the world, what inspires her, what captivates her, what what is it that that helps Fiona be um, a a successful um, woman in business and in life? So, what's the um, what's the best part of being a media lawyer? Uh, f- 
Definitely for me, it's it's the clients that I have. I, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not particularly a creative person. I, I you know my art will never win awards, but I, I do love being around creative people. I love the creative process and the enthusiasm that these people have for the things that they're doing. Even sometimes I, I get clients where I look I look at their project and I can see that commercially, it's not really got any legs and it may not go anywhere. But their enthusiasm is just so infectious. Mm-hmm. So it, it does make every day just a little bit nicer to 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 be working in. Um, the other thing that I love is the diversity. I mean, you, you listed sort of companies and people that I work for before. I work for a lot of obviously those sorts of people. There's always different problems coming up with with um, all the different uh, industries that I work with. But I also do work for things like tourist boards and banks and, um, you know, toothpaste manufacturers who will just come to me because they've got a marketing campaign or they're doing a new online uh, e-commerce site or, or something that's, you know, in, in my area of specialisation. So I still get to work with people that are not creative but are just, you know, trying to extend their business. It makes it really interesting. No, no two days are the same. <laughs> yes, that is, uh, that is what it is. And I know for a fact that also one of the things that you're – especially good at is problem solving and solution finding as well yeah look it, it, I think it's probably one of those um, things that's come through the, the, the way that my career has developed because unlike most lawyers I didn't start off working for a private law firm I went straight in-house and I was working for a production company mm-hmm. so straight away you, you'll put in a position of, of well we don't care about the law can you just help us solve this problem uh, so that was my, my early legal training was all about problem solving and 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 it becomes very much a uh, an automatic thing so after all of these years I'm kind of solving the problem and looking at the law at the same time uh, without even realizing that I do it now Mm, yeah wicked (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it and it is it it is a unique way of being isn't it when you're on um, when you go straight into a production company because um, it is unlike the normal um, uh, way of doing business. Mm, absolutely. And some of, some of my, my stories from the early days are, you know, they're, they're quite amusing. And, and, you know, I was a young lawyer, so, so I was really finding my feet and working with these creative people who were just running from, from one situation to another mm-hmm. you, you you sort of on a journey with them at the, at the same time as you're growing as a lawyer mm-hmm. so it, it did make it quite unique and, and very enjoyable <laughs> so with the benefit of hindsight what would you have done differently if anything in your life or career um, I think I think one of the things I kind of wish I'd done a little earlier was to, to just understand the value of of spending time with older professionals in my field um, it's sometimes being in house can be a little isolating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very, very lucky in my second job because I ended up working for a, a, a gentleman who was just an exceptionally good lawyer and a very, a very generous man. And uh, and he he basically took me from kind of getting by to to getting by a lot better just from from his patience and his knowledge. But I think understanding the value of having an older mentor. I think I wish I'd known that earlier. I wish yeah. I'd I wish I'd found somebody when I was a lot younger as a lawyer, just just to bring you up a little bit faster. I think my early years I was a bit slow at uh, kind of taking off. Yeah. What was some of the guidance that he gave you? Uh, it was it was really. Uh, 
it was very legal. It was very much about the law. Um, you know, I was all I was all very good at meeting people and, and understanding their problems, but but the law was obviously a very important part of that. And I think he taught me the practical application of law in a way that I'd not really understood before. Mm. You know, it's really you know, it's not just about how to read a contract, but how to really read a contract. And yeah. he was just very very good at that. Um, and he taught me with much generosity and, and and honestly lifted my career enormously. I have a lot to thank him for. Yeah. Well, I think that the reason why is because there was so much um, spark and spunk about you that it's like this person, um, uh, it's generosity, but generosity is given when worthiness is there as well. That's a very nice thing to say. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um. Oh gosh, lots of that. Um, yeah, that that's really really difficult. I I can't. The. I mean, I think the thing about about working uh, as a lawyer is 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 the understanding of the clients. Um, your interface with them is really really important, and so one of the things that I was taught. And it was probably about halfway through my career when I finally got my head around it. What was you know, lawyers have this way of looking at themselves as professionals, and that can be very alienating. Mm-hmm. We're actually a service, and and we have to, you know, I'm I'm you know the plumber fixes your bathroom, I fix your contracts, I fix your legal problems, and to, to, when you start to realise that that's what you are, and that you are simply providing a service to somebody who needs it, you do have a different way of interacting with the people around you. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, um, what's your problem? Let me see if I can help you. Yes, absolutely. I, I love it when people say to me, uh, I have a contract. Would you please look at it? How much will it cost to fix it? And I always have to say, well, like the plumber, I can't tell you how much it's going to cost to fix it until I see how bad the problem is. <laughs> so until you give me the contract and I read it, cry uh-huh. over it because it's so appalling, um, or maybe it's brilliant. Maybe I don't need to do very much at all. Maybe all I have to do is just tinker with a washer uh, rather than actually kind of dig up the tiles and redo the pipes. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about working in the Middle East is, is I, I do see some truly appalling contracts uh, to, to a level that I've never, never really, um, I've never seen anything so bad. My, my favourite contract uh, came to me and, and the, the opening line was that the parties wished to sail the space gods and of course i i looked at this contract thinking well what 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 does sail the space gods mean and it took me about the end of the second page to work out that it was for satellite services and and whoever had done the translation had taken the the arabic word for satellite and translated very literally into space gods um (laughs) you just you never know what you're going to get here (laughs) So what are some what are some key factors just because there are, I know that because what I hear in that um, in that answer as well is that there's um, that's a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset mm-hmm. um, into being able to look at things so it's not so black and white there's a pragma, uh, pragmatism yes. <laughs> um, approach to um, to the work that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is also an entrepreneurial um, 
way of doing it. And I love that your first mentor's um, insistence that anybody can read a contract, but to read a contract well takes mm. precision and wisdom. I'm putting absolutely. words into that. But yeah, um, So what are some key factors of a good contract then? Um, the key the key factor of a good contract is not what's in it, it's what's not in it. Okay. Um, what what awesome. I see a lot with, with young lawyers particularly uh, is a tendency to put in the just-in-case clauses. So it's, it's like, oh, well, this could happen, so we need to put that clause in and we need to put that clause in. We, you know, for example, we're putting an intellectual property rights clause in but there's no intellectual property rights in the deal. It's just, you know, all I'm doing is, is is providing you with a table for rent for a week. But they'll be like, well, we better put this in just in case. Uh, the, the secret is to know what doesn't need to be there and that, that comes from analysing the situation and looking at all the what-ifs and saying, well, this this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this is not going to happen, so let's just take that out. Yeah. Um, the key is, is what's not there. When I see a 55-page contract, I just know that somebody has not thought this through. Generally, yeah, yeah, unless it's a yeah. massive deal, but yeah. generally. So know, if it's I, really unnecessary, don't put it in. It, yeah, that's right. Don't put it in. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just trying to make yourself look intellectually superior by making a really long contract. Right. And sometimes oh, back, covering the bases it's is actually bases. less effective. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It doesn't It doesn't always need to be there. Mm. Um, and that that's how you can tell when there's been a good lawyer on the other side of a deal is when mm. the contract comes and you know everything that's in there is in there and things that shouldn't be in there are not in there and they haven't missed anything. Mm. Well, it's it's a a and it's a really interesting period of time at the moment where there's a lot of fear around um, around needing to have a contract for everything mm. Um, mm. because someone, rather than having a practical conversation and mm. to, uh, to work things out, it's slammed with a lawsuit or straight to lawsuit. So what, what, is, what are some of the things that someone could do to counter um, the, uh, the fear? The, I think particularly in your, in your market, possibly more so than this market, um, that fear is, is very well grounded. Uh, generally, I find that uh, anything that go, becomes litigious has become litigious because of uncertainty or mismanagement of expectations. Mm. It really is. It's a relationship that you're entering into with someone when you're doing a contract. So what are your expectations? What are mine? If they're, if they're mismatched, and they very often are, then someone is going to feel disappointed that they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. And that's when things tend to spiral down into the abyss of disagreement. Yes. The, the contract is only there to be the pathway to manage the expectations and to ensure that everybody genuinely understands what it is that they're going to be putting in and getting out. Yeah. Um, that's why contracts are. That's why they have to be. Yeah. If you can't afford a lawyer to do your contract, you at least have to do a decent statement of work that says what everybody's going to do and when and how often they're going to do it. I, I see a lot of marketing contracts, obviously, and it'll be like, yeah, you know, you will you will mention me in, in Twitter. It's like, that's great. Once, once a day, once a week. How will I mention you? Will I use your name? Will I use the... It, it, the, the devil is always in the details. So I would actually comply with that by giving you one mention as my sponsor in one Twitter, uh, in one tweet, and that would be done. 
But that's not what you're expecting. You're expecting me to every time you're tweeting about the event, you're going to include my name. Um, if, you, if you haven't specifically said that, then everyone's going to get upset and that will lead to disagreement. And even if they don't sue on the fact that you didn't tweet as much as they wanted to, they're going to start looking at all your behaviours and say, well, you know, that, that's not very good. And there becomes that negativity in the relationship. Contracts are relationships. They are. Yes, yes. And manage, I love, the, I love the term managing expectations because when we can clearly articulate expectations, mm-hmm. um, both ours and other people's, then there's a lot more harmony um, mm. that can be created in that working uh, relationship and environment. It, it's stunning to me how many times people will give me a schedule of work that is agreed. It might even have been in a in a tender document. This is what we're going to do. And, of course, I look at it and I say, well, I need clear language, so I'm going to redraft this list into something that is very, very clear. It will contain, you know, numbers and times and details. And so I'll, I'll scope out the list in accordance with my client's instructions. When it goes to the other side, they look at it and they go, no, no, we're not giving you seven, we're only giving you three. And it turns out that even though they all believed that the statement of work actually said what they all believed they were going to deliver, there was still this misunderstanding because they just weren't exactly precise about what they were doing. And so, of course, then the contracts start to fall apart. Mm. So the agreed statement of work wasn't wasn't clear enough for anybody. Mm. Happens all the time. Yes, 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 yes. Fascinating. <laughs> Oh, uh, yes, let's, let's move on. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I find it fascinating with all of that because, as you said, um, contracts is people. Mm. So what is um, the greatest lesson that you have ever learned? The greatest lesson that I've ever professionally or personally? Well, probably a bit of both. Mm-hmm. Really, because I think, you know, I think as a as a as a person and mm. and in work, mm. I think the thing that I, I, I my little thing that goes through my head a lot is 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 be kind to yourself, because I I think as as women in particular, we tend to be quite hard on ourselves. We tend to have a vision of ourselves that is very different to the vision that other people around us may have of us. And and so we, we, we're quite critical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that it's that um, something went wrong. Oh, my God, is it my fault? Did I do it? Did I do something wrong? Did I do everything? Even if you had very little to do with the whole mm-hmm. process, you still jump in the middle and go, well, I made a phone call. Maybe it was my phone call. Maybe I was the it, – it's very – I think that – being kind to yourself means that you operate a lot better, you're much clearer, you're much more focused. Just to get on with what you need to do and stop putting yourself in the middle and blaming yourself for things mm. that are happening. Mm. Be kind mm. to yourself. Yeah. Just be kind. Yeah. It's very hard to do, but it's nice to say. <laughs> and take responsibility where responsibility is due. Don't There's take no over responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I was probably in my thirties when I finally walked up to someone and said, "I'm I'm sorry, that was actually my fault." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we're not none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. The boss makes mistake. The PA makes mistake. We make mistakes, mm-hmm. and to own it and move on is is just it's just a much easier way to deal with it. Yeah. And funnily enough, the levels of trust seem to go up if you say sorry for a mistake rather than pretending you didn't do it. 
Yes. Oh, to- 100%. Mm-hmm. 100%. Which is, which is counterintuitive in a way, isn't it? You sort of think, well, if I say I did it wrong, then they'll think I'll always do it wrong. But the fact is you knew that you did it wrong. So it's a... And it, when people are accountable for their actions and their inactions, um, it, it it makes for, like, the, people respect that. I think mm. the, the respect for someone, especially when they um, share a vulnerability, like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, mm. um, it, you, the respect for that person skyrockets. Mm, I would agree and with that. And it's like, okay, so. I can trust that person because mm. they have uh, the ability um, to be honest and truthful in mm. their interactions. And I think that, you know, that's I- an incredible trait to have as a, as a woman and a person. Mm, I would agree with that. I think it's uh, to meet someone who is, is, is able to be very honest about themselves and with themselves is actually it's quite, it's quite an honour. Mm. And to, to do that, you need to know yourself intimately. What triggers you? What doesn't trigger you? The environments that you thrive in. <laughs> so what is the greatest, le- um, what's the, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, no, just, just uh, carry on. <laughs> just carry on. Um, I, think, I think one of the, one of the things that I, 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 I like the most when looking back on my life is that I had a lot of fun along the way. I, I wasn't, I was never the serious girl, so I was never going to be a <laughs> banking and finance or a tax lawyer. Um, I, I allowed myself to enjoy things and, and still, you know, be serious about what I was doing professionally. But uh, no, I, I, I'm pretty happy with the path that I've taken. It, it, I, I can honestly say I, I had no idea I would end up doing as well as I have um, when you become a lawyer there's always that fear that you'll end up in a you know in a, in a dead-end job doing stuff that you absolutely hate which is quite possible with law there's an awful lot of it um, and I didn't so I'm you know I'm, I'm very proud of that mm. well one of the things that um, that I particularly love about you is your persistence and your courage <laughs> and I remember when uh, you first started you kept a folder of a hun- was it 175 letters of rejection yeah. 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 Um, from different companies that said yeah. thanks but no thanks? Yes, they all they, I, I, every single rejection letter I got as a lawyer I kept and I kept it for some time. Just it was I don't know why. It was like a talisman for me. I, I, I just wanted to be reminded that, you know, this wasn't going to be as easy as you thought it was. Um, you know, tenacious. You had to be tenacious. I was very tenacious. Mm. And, and it's interesting when I look back on it from where I am now, without realising it, I actually was very ambitious. And, and I think coming back to that, that thing of people see you differently than you see yourself, it's possible that other people saw me as ambitious, but I certainly didn't. Yeah. Um, but I actually am. <laughs> and the, the other thing that I love about that is that business isn't personal. No, business isn't personal. I, I, that's a really big, big lesson for people to learn across the board. And it is, I spend a lot of time talking clients down off the ledge on this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, they get into business with somebody who's a very good friend or a cousin or a sister and, and they, and it doesn't go well. And they personalize it, the, the anger and the, it, it can be really quite destructive and damaging. And then you, you have to separate it. Like people don't do things because they don't like you. They do things because they don't like where they are themselves. Mm. It has zero to do with you usually. Yes. Um, yeah. 
but they personalize it. I, I you know, I've, I often, I, you know, I'll write letters to people, you know, representing my client, you know, blah, 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 you must, blah, blah, and I'll give it to my client. I'll say, now have a look at this. And they'll be like, you didn't talk about this. And what about that? And that time when he did that. And I'm like, that's, that's emotion. That's nothing to do with this. This is all I need here is brutal hard facts. What have we got? It is really hard for people to do, but it's really important in business. Yes. Well, I actually think that life isn't personal as well. Anybody that thinks the same thoughts, has the same attitudes, values, beliefs and behaviours mm. is also likely to get the same result. <laughs> there is. That is very true. That is very true. My, my, my daughter, is. she's just about to turn 11 and she's at that stage now. She's quite self-conscious, and she's she said to me, you know, I, I just worry about what people think when I walk into a room, mummy. And I said, well, darling, to be honest with you, when you walk into a room, they're not thinking about you at all. They're thinking about what you're thinking of them. So I just don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. None of this is personal. Everyone's in their own life, in their own pathway, and in their own brains, fighting their own battles. True that. So what keeps you up at night? Uh it will be um, if there's something particularly troublesome at work, it will be that. But usually I have to say my stress is related to uh, professional relationships. So, you know, am I getting along with that person? You know, did I say something wrong? Have I upset them? So I do personalise it too much sometimes. Mm. Um, and money, obviously. You worry about money because I'm, I've got kids to support and need to juggle the books and keep the budget going. Yeah, absolutely. So what, um, is there someone in particular at the moment that inspires you or what drives you? Um, oh, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I've just started a new job so I'm, I'm sort of meeting, uh, I'm meeting a lot of new people, I'm meeting a lot of new women uh, in particular uh, and I, I've not even been there six months but, but I'm seeing some spectacularly strong women in the firm that I've done very, very well. You know, some some of the partners, some of the, the people who are are ahead of, of our, um, our our offices are, are women, and and um, just looking at them and thinking, you know, you you you've got it all together. They've been successful. They've got children. They've got marriages that are working. All of the I think the the people that I meet on a daily basis. Are more likely to be candidates for, for the inspiration than somebody I see in a magazine or on television. Oh, I love that because that it is the everyday accessibility of that. That's right. That's right. I met an amazing woman the other day. She's the head of our Jordan office. Um, hello, if you're listening. Um, she's amazing. She's a truly amazing woman. Um, she's she's feisty and fun and smart and 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 she has time for people and she's uh, listed as one of the best lawyers in the region terribly powerful and and I'm just I'm just in awe of her I think she's completely amazing yeah well but and I and I love that as a mirror back to you because they're all the qualities that I know um that you have and display and ooze as well thank you Julian <laughs> <laughs> you're very very sweet <laughs> I've just known you for a bucket load of time. No, I'm, 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 and you know that I'm literally blushing at this. <laughs> Inside a privilege. <laughs> yes, indeed. Okay, I'll let you go. <laughs> um, so, who's been the greatest influence? Probably the the guy who who mentored me early. I think. Yeah. I think there was a, a you know possibility that I may not have 
kept going with the law stuff had it not been for him. And I'm truly grateful that I did because I think that intellectually I work well as a lawyer. Um, so he was pretty influential. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people I met when I was working at Channel 7 as well. There's some very uh, strong, wonderful women in there that were I thought were just amazing. Um They've both gone on to do spectacular things, as you can imagine. Um, just people who were kind with their time, uh, um, generous with their with their advice, um, incredibly strong in their jobs, who, who didn't bow to the politics, particularly, as you can imagine, broadcasting is a very male industry, mm-hmm. uh, and these women did not bow to the politics and didn't bow to the men and didn't and didn't let them play the game. And so, you know, there was a, 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 an incredible inner strength to these women that I found really um, wonderful to work with. And I loved it that they all, that all of them had wonderful senses of humour. So, you, you, you know, they're dealing with incredibly high-level broadcasting problems on a day-to-day basis with massive budgets and big teams and so much going on. But they never lost a sense of their family or their humour or, or their ability to just sit down and have a cup of tea with somebody. And, and that... You know that balance between the the go get them and the touchstones of reality. I really I really admired that, and and, and always hope to emulate that myself. Yeah, awesome. So, what if you had to pick one word that best describes your personal brand? What would it be? Um. Oh, oh, I know this one. I know this one. Um, I, I'm approachable. Yes. It's it's my thing. It's it, even when you know people write reviews of me as a lawyer. Fiona is very approachable. I do I do get down to their level. Oh, should that I don't mean that in a patronising way, but it's to their level. Where are they? Are they? Where where do they? Um, what sort of a conversation do they need to have so that they feel comfortable telling me everything they need to tell me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I I think that that's probably one of my strengths. People tell me things. Sometimes they don't mean to, but they do. Yeah, yeah. I disarm them. <laughs> I, well, as a lawyer, I think that that is an incredible talent as well because um, people could find that quite intimidating, um, that you could be wanting to know things to, you know, to hold it against them in the future or, you know, depending on, on, on what it is. However, when you're approachable, you're actually learning everything that you can in mm. order to serve them um, mm. in the best way possible. Yeah, when, when people relax, they often say things that are far more revealing yes. than when they're not. Well, they do. I mean, that, that's just a fact. Totally. So, so if someone is telling me that, that there was a, you know, a terrible dispute and this happened and that happened, when they relax, I may find out that some of their behaviours in the dispute have perhaps not been above reproach and so you can see that there's been some something has been contributed by them and therefore that's why we are where we are in that room with the lawyer so it's good to know that as a lawyer I can only solve the problem that's in front of me so if you don't tell me the entire problem I'm solving a completely different problem and that's you know that's not not a good use of anybody's time or money um there's you know why, why get me to solve another problem? Get no. me to solve the one that you've got. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if, you can, if you can be approachable and have them know that you are 100% on their team, mm. then mm. by sharing those things with you, 
It's mm-hmm. about coming back to that problem fi- uh, problem solving and solution finding mm-hmm. attitude as well. It's like, okay, I can see how this action of yours could have contributed to that. Now yes. this is what we need to do in order to move this forward to resolve yes. this to get a win-win-win for everyone. Yes, exactly. If I don't know the problem exists, I can't fix it. So, I, you know, and, and, and I, we will always find a work through. There's always a work through. Yes. Sometimes it takes a couple of days for me to come up with it, but there's always a work through. <laughs> so what are three gold nuggets that you'd like to give our listeners? <clears throat> three gold nuggets. Um, right. Um, don't sweat small stuff. Um I would say um, um, yes, stay true to yourself and your vision. And my final one, the one that I've lived my life with, is um, embrace the chaos, just don't let it take over. (laughs) I so resonate with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're working women, so the chaos is is ever-present. Yes. And, I, you know, I've seen so many of these, you know, 10 women tell me how to, you know, make my life wonderful. And, and what they seem to do is suck the fun out of it. You know, everything's scheduled and, you know, they're, they're sort of eating their toast while they're doing their yoga and, and watching morning breakfast show. And you just go like, I can't do that. That's not going to work. I need to have that element of chaos. It does keep things much more fun. Yeah. But you can't let it take over. Sometimes no. I let it take over and then things get quite out of control. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, there's an awful lot of working mothers out there and a lot of working single mothers out there and we run, we really do run, but, you know, all working women do. Yeah, I think, you know, life is built with chaos and it doesn't come ordered. It's about being able to um, create a way of being within the chaos that doesn't distill Mm. you and Mm -hmm. that you can still find balance to have fun, be lovable, be loved. Mm. Um, and um, and just create some peace of mind, whether mm. you have that family or whether you're um, building your career, wherever you are in life, it's about, um, you know, being able to stand in the middle of the chaos and go, I'm still okay. It, yes. Sometimes I look at my life and I, I think it's just it's spaghetti bolognese. It's what <laughs> it's like right now. Um, but it, I get through it. I get, I get around it. it we, we, we pull it all together some miracle level we do and that's the resilience as well Mm. so if you had a superpower what would it be um my my actual superpower obviously (laughs) is reading people's minds um i think i think when you solve people's problems all the time you kind of get a sense of where conversations are going to go or how things are going to end up so i kind of you know i pride myself on yeah i know what this is going to end up like it it often does um so yeah obviously i'm a mind reader Uh, also i have children so you know as as a mother we are um inherently capable of mind reading we know who broke it every single time. Yes. So, uh, yes, so there's that, yes. And if you and, and a superpower that you'd like to have? I need to fly. Uh, <laughs> there's no question about that. Uh, I am late to things more often than I like, quite simply because of aforesaid mentioned chaos. <laughs> um, so I am late and I don't like being late. I think it's 
quite rude. Although it's interesting because this part of the world has a, a, a very um, uh, high tolerance for lateness. Um, so, yeah, I kind of fit in here in the Middle East on that level. <laughs> uh, but, but it's still rude and I, I wish I wasn't. But I always seem to be 10 minutes behind or, or an hour and a half early. I either do one or the other. Extremes. Yes, so yeah, flying would be really good. It would be really good. I need to, I need a tree for my garden today, and it's quite a long way to go to the really good garden centre. And it'd be great if I could fly. It would just be awesome. <laughs> so, in one sentence, what does the future storyline for Fiona Rob- Robertson look, sound, and feel like? Ah, uh, Fiona Robertson is going to continue to um, uh, be. A hugely successful one hopes uh, a media and entertainment lawyer in the Middle East. Uh, I, I love this region. I, I have a great passion for it, and I I love the fact that this region is is trying to to do things in the creative industries. That that you know we we have a green field here. We're not a developed uh, creative nation. So there's a lot to do. Um, I want to be involved in a lot of that and. Uh, and I hope to, to to make a mark on on the whole industry. Mm. Well, you certainly are already, and <laughs> I thank you so much for joining us today. A complete pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I was very honoured. <laughs> My pleasure. This is Julianne Black for the I Am Woman Project. Keep smiling and be brilliant now. That brings us to the end of the show. If you have any questions, please send us an email to jennifer at iamwomanproject.com.au or twitter at iamwomanproject and we will get right back to you. If you were listening to this podcast on iTunes, please make sure you leave a review or rating about the show. We would love to hear your thoughts. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please take care.